Well, good morning. It's good to be with all of you. I was trying to look before the lights came on if I could uh, see. Um, we have a great kids ministry. Just want to mention that. It goes up to fifth grade. And wanted to mention this earlier, but you could leave with your kids if you want to. Now, this is like, this is like some heavy stuff we're going to talk about today. So I wouldn't say PG-13, but definitely PG kind of, kind of information. This is a story that's, that's pretty dark. It's a Bible story you probably didn't hear in Sunday school when you were growing up. I know it's not one we're going to talk about, but a tale of three kings because we're, we're dealing with a story because it's in the Bible and because, you know, the Bible talks about real-life stuff and real life isn't always really nice. In fact, sometimes it's horrendous. And so this is the third king we're going to be talking about. We talked about Saul and um, how he was almost a great king. And by almost, that meant that eventually he became a, a terrible person and a mass murderer. And then there was David, who was a man after God's own heart and, and exhibited forgiveness and so many other, and, and, and mercy and courage. And uh, yet he was not a perfect man and had some failings later in life. And we're following up with that. Um, with his son Absalom today. Um, but as we start, here, here's the question I want you to wrestle with because I know you're wrestling with it already. What do you do with injustice? What do you do when someone you love or when you see the good guys being abused and hurt and those who are abusing, the, the authorities just look the other way and pretend it's not happening or worse, they side with them. In the last seven months, there's been 38 churches and 58 pro-life uh, um, centers, just like CareNet locally. A lot of you are familiar with them, helping young couples, actually giving them a choice. A lot of times, young couples with a crisis pregnancy, they're told, you have no choice. You need to kill and abort that baby. And, and CareNet Pregnancy Center comes alongside of them and said, no, we'll help you. We, we, we have a store and we, we have classes and, we, you know, you earn bucks that you can get free stuff at the store and we have mentors and we'll come alongside of you and you do have a choice. Don't listen that says you have no choice. You have a choice. You can keep this baby. And uh, Life Choices Center is another one we support up in the Broome County area as well. Well, 58 of those and 38 churches in addition have been firebombed and ransacked and um, defaced by uh, pro-abortion, pro-death people, including James Revenge, 96 in all, some of them more than once, there have been zero arrests made because those in authority choose to look the other way. In fact, many of you may not even been aware that this has been happening all across our country because those in charge want to look you to look the other way. Different story, May 28th, 2021, a male teenager wearing a skirt entered a girl's restroom at Stonebridge High School in Loudoun County, Virginia, and raped a ninth grade girl in the bathroom. Her father, Scott Smith, was called to the school, and school administrators told him they were, quote, handling the incident in-house. In other words, no reason to call the police, no reason to alert authorities. We want to keep this quiet and we'll handle it. Well, the father, Scott Smith, made such a stink that they did call the police to escort him off the premises. And, in, and afterward, he said, thank God I drew enough attention to it because we got an escort to the hospital where they administered a rape kit that night. 
And three weeks later, there was a school board meeting, and the father showed up for it, and the school administrator, Scott Ziegler, stood in front of a, a large crowd at the school board meeting and said, quote, to my knowledge, we don't have any record of assaults occurring in our restrooms. And the father spoke up, was attacked by protesters, because you understand, protesters are there in, in, in support of the rapist. That's who we need to support, the authorities tell us in this case, is the rapist. And he was struck in the head, and then an altercation ensued, and this is the father of the ninth grade girl who was raped. He was taken to the floor, arrested by the police, and escorted off the premises, and the school board meeting was shut down. And then three months after that, they find out that this boy who was supposed to be, they said was under house arrest, was actually quietly moved by the superintendent, Scott Ziegler, to another school where he sexually assaulted another girl in the same school district. Within four months' time, two girls were abused, and the only one who'd been arrested was the father. Now, eventually, the wheels of justice do turn, and this young man was found guilty on both counts of rape and sexual assault and battery. But the school administrator who lied and who didn't call the police and who who quietly moved this, he is still a school administrator there and pulling in a $100,000 to $200,000 salary to this day. What happens? And, and we could go on, right? I could go on all day and just drop names. Hunter Biden, Balenciaga, Uyghurs in China. Uh, we, over and over it goes, where people are unjust and they're cruel, and they abuse, and they hurt people, they even kill people. And what side do the authorities take? They take the side of the abuser, or they just look the other way and pretend it's not happening. No, no story to see here. Let's not talk about it. What do you do? And, and this is actually easier to talk about than the personal stuff. Because there's scores here today and watching online who this is not just something that happens in Virginia or in some other place. There's, you've personally seen it happen, seen, seen children, seen people you love hurt, and then the ones who did it, they got away with it. And what do you do? And that brings us to this third king, Absalom, and he has three turning points in his life where he has a choice to make. And at each point, he makes a choice and it determines his destiny. And I think we can learn a lot from the choices that he makes. And the first one is this thing about injustice. He has a choice. There's a tremendous injustice. And, and what does he do? His choice is, does he choose forgiveness? Like David did when Saul murdered his friends and he had a chance to pay Saul back and Saul was falsely uh, uh, attacking and wanting to kill David and all the, his family, his family had to flee the country, you know. And, and so he had a chance, David did, to get revenge and David chose forgiveness. That's why God called him a man after his own heart. And Absalom has this same choice. I'm not going to read it to you. Usually this is when we start reading the Bible. I'll read some of the Bible later, but it's a story in 2 Samuel chapter 13. It's 22 verses long, but I'm not reading it because it's just horrible. What happens is there's one of the princes, one of the sons of David. His name is Amnon, 
he rapes his half-sister. And it's not something done, you know, when he's drunk some night and, you know, it is something premeditated, enlists the help of another man and they just set about a scheme and, and he abuses her. And then what happens is she does the right thing. She reports this and she says, this is what happened. You know, and if, and if she had actually kept quiet, because in that day and age, for a woman to be raped in that way, it made her a second-class citizen. She, was no, she, she could not marry. No one would want to marry her anymore. If she had kept her mouth shut, she would have been able to have maybe a normal life, but she didn't. She did the right thing. And let me say, if you're here today and you've been hurt and you've been abused or whatever, that, that has no bearing on who you are. That is not your identity. God tells you who you are, and, and he, he loves you, and, and what has been done to you does not affect you morally. That is not on you. That is on the person who has, who has hurt you. But in this day and age, in this culture, 3,000 years ago, Amnon didn't just take Tamar's virginity. He took her life away from her. And what did David do? What did the authorities do? Her own father, it says he got angry and he did nothing. And so Absalom took Tamar and this is something we need to applaud Absalom for. Absalom, I think legitimately, he loved his sister Tamar. He took her into his home. He said, I'll take care of you. In fact, he named his own daughter after Tamar. Maybe even to tell Tamar, okay, so you're not going to get married, you're not going to have kids, but my daughter, your, your name will live on through her. And he loved her and he said, I'm going to take care of you. But then he went a little bit farther than that and he said, and I'm going to take care of Amnon. Don't you worry. I'll get even and I'll make him pay. And revenge is a dish best served cold. And he waited two years Two years for the authorities, his father, to do something. And it's actually worse than it seems. Because you have to talk about birth order here. Guess, guess where Amnon was in birth order? He was the oldest son. What does that mean in a monarchy? He's the heir to the throne. And if he did this as a prince, what would he be capable of as a king? And so Absalom is thinking through all this, and he says, you know what? My father's not doing anything. I need to do something. And he chose to kill his brother. A lot of us would call that self-restraint. He waited two years. What would you do? If it was your daughter, if it was your sister, I think we would applaud the restraint you took if it took you two years to go over and give him what he deserved. But this is where, you know, a lot of times our, our world is increasingly getting, our society in America, we're getting more and more angry. And police officers will tell you there's more angry people. I've talked to teachers who have told me and administrators that there's more angry people. You talk to referees, there have always been angry people, but they're worse now. And talk to hospital workers. I've had hospital workers tell me people are getting more angry. Where does this come from? You know, it's, it, there is injustice. There's always been injustice. But I think we're maybe a little bit more aware of it now. And I think some of it is 
that we think there's only two options. Number one, you get revenge and you make them pay. Or number two, you do nothing. We all know the saying, what does it take for evil men to flourish? For good men to do what? To do nothing. So you either do nothing and you're part of the problem or you take revenge. And those are the two options. If those in authority don't deal with it, we forget there's a third option. And that is to leave it in God's hands. And the less we believe in hell and a God who judges, the more we want to judge ourselves. I'm telling you, if you have been wronged by someone here today, if you have been abused, if you have been hurt, you don't need to get even. And you don't need to hold on to that bitterness, right? Bitterness is that poison that we, we keep drinking unforgiveness, that poison of unforgiveness, hoping that it will hurt someone else. It's not gonna, that's, that's madness. Don't, you, you can forgive and let go because there is a God who will judge the earth. And he will make them pay in ways that you have no idea. And let me just say for those of you here who have been on the abuser's side, this is why we need the forgiveness of Jesus Christ on the cross because I have hurt people too. And I don't want fair from God. If I get fair, I'm in trouble. I need his mercy. I need his grace. I need Jesus. And Jesus is there to offer forgiveness and also to say, I've been reading through the Psalms. Hilda Williams told me about this, reading through the Bible in two years. I thought, that's really cool because reading through it in one year is like a lot of reading. And I think, you know, I'll just scale it back and read it through in two years. So I'm in the Psalms and Psalm after Psalm that I read by David the forgiving, by David the gracious and merciful, you know what he says? Get him, God. Make my, I, I think we need to understand that that is a part of forgiveness. Forgiveness isn't saying it was okay or that it's no big deal or that you don't deserve. No, forgiveness is saying I'm not going to make them pay. And one of the ways I think we can forgive, especially for those who aren't sorry, is by recognizing I'll let God deal with you. That's what David said to Saul. May the Lord judge between me and you. I'm not, I'm not going to kill you. Did God deal with Saul? Oh, yeah. You think God would have dealt with Amnon? And this is where, man, if someone lives to be 92 and is a billionaire, God will still bring justice. It may be slower than we want, but it's coming. In fact, this is something that makes me feel pity for those who have done, done wrong because I think, man, the justice of God, I'm not sure I even want that on my worst enemy. In eternity? In hell? We can forgive and we need to choose forgiveness over revenge in a society that increasingly is not doing that. Who do you need to forgive? Who's the last person you want to forgive? And let me just say, if you have been severely, you know, if you have gone through something really traumatic, and maybe this isn't a story about Tamar, this is your story. I just want to encourage you to talk to a counselor, talk to a pastor, and the very least talk to a, a very wise Christian because there's a lot of complicated decisions and things of how you approach things. I would not have said, I am not telling you to go to your abuser and tell that person you forgive them. 
especially if they're not sorry, you may get manipulated and hurt or abused again if you do that. Like, the, the solution here wasn't for Absalom to come to Tamar and say, let's go to Amnon and you tell Amnon that you forgive him. Right, that wouldn't have been a good scene. What would have happened next and what Amnon might have done and said or... So, so if, if you've gone through this, you need to definitely talk to somebody who can walk you through, practically speaking, how do you let go? And this doesn't mean the relationship continues or any of that, you know, but, but we do need to forgive and leave it in God's hands. The story goes on, and so after Absalom kills Amnon, he flees the country. Because, of course, he killed the heir to the throne. And, and back in this day and age, sometimes one of the princes would do that and he would proceed to wipe out all the other sons of the king. In fact, that's what they thought had happened when they heard word. The first messenger said, Absalom has killed the king's sons. And then this crafty snake of a counselor said, no, it wasn't all the king's sons. It was just one of them. And he knew it was coming. But, and King David, so, so Absalom flees the country, and David longed to go to Absalom, for he was consoled concerning Amnon's death. Again, we see this passivity in David. I talked about this last week where he doesn't deal with Amnon. Why? Maybe because he's thinking, I did the same thing to Bathsheba. Who am I to judge Amnon? And then Absalom kills Amnon, and David does nothing. Why? Well, probably because I did the same thing Uriah, and Uriah was a righteous man, and I killed a righteous man, and Absalom killed a wicked man. So who am I to judge Absalom either? And that passivity, though, it's just not good. And, and so uh, he, he doesn't do anything, and eventually Joab, who is the, the general, he realizes that David is unhappy, and he makes a way to, to have Absalom come back into the country, and he comes back to Jerusalem, but he's not allowed in court. He's not allowed to see his father's face. So he's, he's still kind of on the outs of, of uh, the court's court life and that. And this is where we see that Absalom is faced with another fork. So he could choose forgiveness or revenge. He chooses revenge. And now he can choose humility or he can choose pride. And he chooses pride. And so he, he, he's the kind of guy. So he's, his best ally in court is Joab. Joab is the general, and he brought him back to Jerusalem. And so he sends a message to Joab, basically, I want to see the king's face. Come meet with me, and let's talk about how I can get back into the court. And Joab ignores him, doesn't reply to his summons, because he's probably thinking, you know what? I've done you a favor. Leave me alone. Like, we're, we're done. That's it. And if Absalom was a normal human being, <laughs> well, maybe that's not true. If Absalom was humble... What would you do if your next-door neighbor, we find out that their estates were right next to each other, what would you do if your next-door neighbor wouldn't come to your house when you summoned him? What would you do next if you wanted to talk to him? You'd go to his house. But you know what? Absalom doesn't go begging at someone's door, knocking and waiting for them to say whether he can enter or not. That's, that's not what he does. In fact, world leaders do this today. Erdogan, who's the president of Turkey, recently had the Putin from Russia come to Turkey a couple months ago. And now that the war in Ukraine isn't going so well, see in the past, Putin was up here and Erdogan, Turkey is down here and Erdogan is asking favors of Putin. So now the things have reversed. Putin needs Erdogan now. And so Putin was left sitting alone in a room 
for I forget how long, a half hour, waiting for Erdogan to have the time to meet with him. You know, just this little, you know, yeah, who's begging at whose door now, you know? And so Absalom had this kind of a pride. And he's like, I don't go knocking on Joab's door if he doesn't come to my summons. He tells the servants, go, bur go burn his field down. <laughs> Who does that? Your neighbor won't come over to your house so you burn his field? Like, and destroy all his wheat or barley or whatever was there. And so then after that happens, Joab comes. He's like, what are you doing, you idiot? You burned my field down. And he's like, I told you to come. And you come when I call you. The, the pride of Absalom, we see it in, in a lot of other things. Absalom had a, taken a pillar and erected it in the King's Valley as a monument to himself. He named the pillar after himself. It's called Absalom's Monument to this day. To my knowledge, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, you have some Bible scholars here. I don't, there's only one other king of all the kings in the Old Testament, there's only one other that built a monument to himself, and it was Saul. Saul and Absalom pride. In fact, this is a picture of Absalom's monument today. It's not actually his monument. It's only 2,000 years old. To be his monument, it have to be 3,000 years old. So it's, you know, in, in Israel, there are a lot of things that are real, and then there's a lot of things that they're like, this rock was where Jacob laid his head. You know, <laughs> they're like, they just make stuff up because, you know, and for five dollars, you can see it you know, or whatever, you know, and we'll give you a tour and just makes everything interesting. So they call this Absalom's Monument. It's very old, 2,000 years. is, I mean, that's even older than Ben Robinson. Um, he's not here till second service. I should have <laughs> waited on that one. But anyway, but here's why I have this picture up here. To this day, many Jewish children are taught, if you go by Absalom's Monument, you take dust and rocks and throw it at it because we despise Absalom and what he did and what he stood for. His revenge, his pride, and then the third thing he does as well. 3,000 years later, children are throwing rocks at his grave. Don't choose, you know, God takes the proud and he humbles them, and he takes the humble and he exalts them, and that is so important in our lives. Who's the last person you want to humble yourself before? When I thought of this, I thought of a, a face flashed into my mind. Of all the people, ugh, that guy wouldn't want to be humble before him. You know what Absalom learned in his life? He learned, you know what? I can't trust my brother, my own brother, and I can't trust him. And then he learned, because David did nothing, I can't even trust my own father. And so what he should have learned was there's only one person I can trust, God. But what he came away with, there's only one person I can trust, me. And I have to be the one who makes it right. And I have to judge Amnon. And David didn't do anything, so I need to judge David too. He, he needs to be deposed. He needs to be killed. He needs to be removed as king because he can't, he's not doing as good a job as I would have done. And all those other people, they're going to get in my way, and they don't understand that David needs to go, and I need to get rid of them too. And, and because of his pride, he feels like he is the answer to every problem, and, he, and it just destroys him. 
In the course of time, Absalom provided himself with a chariot and horses and with 50 men to run ahead of him. What a head case. 50 men. Absalom's coming. Here comes Absalom. 50 guys. I'd only need two. <laughs> with loud voices. I mean, you know, this is what he does. And he'd get up early and stand by the side of the road leading to the city gate. Whenever anyone came with a complaint to be placed before the king for a decision, Absalom would call out to him, what town are you from? And he'd answer, your servant's from, you know, one of the tribes of Israel. Oh, I'm from Manasseh. I'm from, you know, Benjamin. And then Absalom would say to him, look, your claims are valid and proper, but there's no representative of the king to hear you. And Absalom would add, if only I were appointed judge in the land. You know what this, you know what this kingdom needs? Me. <laughs> I've always thought about people who would run for president. What kind of a self-confidence do you have to have to say, I, who'd be the best person to lead 330 million? Me. <laughs> Some, that, maybe I'm overstating it, but then everyone who has a complaint or case could come to me and I would see that they received justice. I am the solution to everyone's problem. Also, when anyone approached him to bow down before him, Absalom would reach out his hand, take hold of him and kiss him. Now, in our culture, it's fairly, I think the word is egalitarian, like we're all equal in our culture, you know, but in a lot of Near Eastern cultures and certainly ancient culture, there is a huge break, right, between the nobility and, and the commoners, the peasants. And so what Absalom would do here, and, and we think this is kind of creepy, you know, if I came up to you, oh, and kissed all of you this morning, you'd be like, there's something wrong with that guy. Like, um, but in that culture, again, to, to greet someone with a kiss was basically to say, I am your peer, I'm your brother. Like, like we, we are equals. And for, for Absalom, a prince and heir to the throne, to do that to a commoner, I mean, that just stole their hearts. They were like, oh, we love David, but Absalom, oh, even better. Absalom behaved in this way toward all the Israelites who came to the king asking for justice, and so he stole the hearts of of the people of Israel. Choose humility over pride. Here's, here's a question we need to wrestle with. Are you building your kingdom or God's kingdom? Because sometimes, even as a pastor, sometimes there's a temptation to be nice to people, not because it's the right thing, not because it's what God wants, but because then they'll think well of me. And so, you know, I'm building my kingdom if I do that. And even on a, on a corporate level, we need to not do that individually. We need to realize, you know, it's, it's, it's God. And that's where we need to bring God into conversations with people so that they realize that, no, it's not me that's, that's nice and great. It's my God. You wouldn't, wanna, you wouldn't want me as a neighbor, me as a coworker, me as a friend without Jesus in me. It's Jesus that makes the difference. It's him the one that you should really applaud. And, um, but even as, as a church, there's, there's three ways in which I, I want to make sure we're building God's kingdom and not our kingdom. And, and one of those ways is, is just with, we need to always be a church that's giving money away. And so recently, you know, hope for Cora, but, but we have a missions trip, and in January, we're going to advertise for it. If you want to go to Kambalam or Chapoon, Guatemala, a lot of you, there's almost 100 different of you that, that um, have, have uh, not fostered, sponsored 
Yeah, foster is much more significant commitment. But you sponsored a child in Guatemala. And so, you know, we send, I forget what it is, the church fifteen, sixteen thousand dollars a year. And then you as individuals, it's tens of thousands, thirty, forty thousand dollars a year in, in in support to help raise these villages out of poverty and teach them about God. And it's just and 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 we do that in Shabu and Saju in India and, and all sorts of other ministries. We give money away because we're not building Bridgewater's kingdom. We're building God's kingdom. And we need to keep giving money away. We need to keep giving people away. Uh, back in 2011, we sent 50 people to Halstead to start Bridgewater Halstead. And of those 50 people, about 20 of them were children. <laughs> you know, and then, and then we sent about 20, 25 to Vestal. And then we sent 70 to, to um, Tunkhannock, 70-some to Tunkhannock. And then even just two years ago, Pablo and Lauren uh, Gutierrez left Bridgewater with about 20, 25 people to start Iglesia Electric City down in Scranton. They're averaging over 70 people. See, that's, that's what happens when you send people away. You send 25 people away, and all of a sudden, there's 70 people. You know, because God blesses that, because we are not building Bridgewater's kingdom. Does anyone, should anyone care about Bridgewater without God building God's kingdom? We shouldn't. In fact, I wanted to phrase that in such a way that I try to trick you into saying amen and then I rebuke you for, no, who cares about Bridgewater? We shouldn't care about Bridgewater. We should pick only to the effect that we are having on God's kingdom. In fact, uh, I want to invite you Sunday morning at 8 o'clock. There's a group in the cafe room that pray, and you're all invited to come and pray from 8 to about 8.45 every Sunday morning. Wednesday morning, there's a group of men that pray from 6 to 7 a.m. They meet at, if you want to chat, you got to get there at 5.45, okay? Because at 6 o'clock, they start praying, and they pray directly to 7. And so if you have a prayer request, here's how you give it. You just pray, and everybody else will hear your prayer request, and write it down or remember it, and... But, but every, not every Wednesday morning, almost every Wednesday morning, and certainly this last Wednesday morning, we pray for other churches. And we pray for the Montrose Bible Church. God, that you would make that a church that would be known as a church of love, that they would have an impact on this community that would be enormous, that they would see people saved and discipled and follow you. And Lord, we pray for Forest Lake Baptist Church and Ken Young and Dan John and Lord, we prayed for First Baptist in New Milford and Sam Brush. And we pray for South New Milford Baptist Church. And you know what? This is why it's so important for us to pray for and support and celebrate the fact that Two Rivers Church is starting a church right in Montrose at the movie theater about 300 yards from my office. This is a good thing because we're not building Bridgewater's kingdom. Nobody cares about Bridgewater's kingdom, certainly not God. We care about his kingdom. And, and hu that's a humility thing. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. Is there someone you need to humble yourself before? Is there someone you need to go to and say, I need to ask your forgiveness? And maybe you're like, but, but they did something worse to me. But if you did something wrong to them, you need to ask for forgiveness. And if you don't trust the situation, maybe put it in writing. Right? Because sometimes when you go to ask someone for forgiveness, you start arguing with them again, and then you have even more things to ask for forgiveness. So, but humility, humble yourself, and let God lift you up. And then he came to this last fork in the road, 
He had to choose between what's right or what worked. This is called pragmatism. Going with what works instead of what's right. Doing what's wrong in order to bring about some better thing in the end. Um, choose right, what's right over what works. Here's, here's the story. So Absalom declares civil war. And uh, he, he declares himself king. Um, it takes David by surprise. David and a lot of those loyal to him flee the city of Jerusalem. Absalom comes in with an army. They win the city without a fight. Um, and, and this is what happens next. Absalom said to Hithophel, give us your advice. What should we do? If you remember last Sunday or two Sundays ago, the message, um, Ahithophel was Bathsheba's grandpa. And grandpa Ahithophel didn't take too kindly to having his grandson-in-law murdered and his granddaughter put in a harem. So he didn't really like David much after that. And so he sides with Absalom in the civil war and in the conspiracy. And Ahithophel was the wisest man in the country. Wisdom is the ability to predict the future. If you're wise, you know if you do this, then this is liable to happen, and then that will happen, and that will bring this result, right? You can, you can predict the future. That's what wisdom does. And so Ahithophel, it says asking him for advice was like asking God. Like he was never wrong. Here's what he says. Ahithophel answered, sleep with your father's concubines who he left to take care of the palace and all Israel will hear that you've made yourself obnoxious to your father and the hands of everyone with you will be more resolute. So this is wise advice. This will get Absalom what he wants, but it's not right. It's wrong. In fact, so what he's saying, just to put a point to it, saying, your father left 10 of his concubines, they were like official mistresses, to the upkeep of the palace. You need to rape all 10 of them in broad daylight. Why? Why would you do that? Well, because, you see, there's a lot of people in, in the country that love David. And there's a few that love David and hate you. And then you have a few people that love you and they hate David, like me. But then there's this huge amount in the middle, and they love you both. They love David, and they love Absalom too. And what they're thinking right now is, can't we just all get along? Like, can't we just resolve this peacefully? And many times back then, what would happen is the, the king, the father, would kind of abdicate the throne to the younger son, and he would continue to reign ceremoniously, but he wouldn't really make any of the decisions, and the, the scepter would pass to the son, and they would co-reign, but really the son was in charge. And a lot of the people in the country were probably thinking, can't we do that? Can't we just do that? Can't we just resolve this? I don't want to have to go kill my friend who sided with David, my family member who sided with David, and Ahithophel says, this will fix that. You do this and everyone will realize there is no peaceful resolution to this. It is war. And you open the gates to Absalom, what do you think David's going to do to you? And so he does this. And this is the, this is the heartbreaking part of this story. Because in the beginning... What started this off? It was the rape of his sister. And, and in this desire to see justice done, he killed Amnon. And now what does he do? 
he becomes 10 times the monster that Amnon ever was. And that's what happens. They pitched a tent for Absalom on the roof and he slept with his father's concubine in the sight of all Israel. Unforgiveness, pride, and doing what works instead of what's right turns you into a worse monster than the one you seek to destroy. This is one of the saddest stories in the Old Testament because Absalom had so much potential. He could have been such a great man. But he chose the way of pride and revenge and it just led him to all the wrong places. Let me just ask you, what sin are you rationalizing? Is there something that you're doing? And it, maybe it's really small, or you would call it small. Yeah, I know we're not married, but you know, right? I, I mean, does God really want me to pay all those taxes? I mean, I could do so much more good with that money, and our government's corrupt anyway. Right? Or, or I know it's a sin, but you know what? It's, it's how I unwind. It helps me cope with things. And think of all the good that I do. Surely that counts for something and, and makes this other thing okay. That's the way of Absalom. It's not the way of Jesus. We're going to remember Jesus' death for us on the cross right now. So if you have one of these... There's a little, we're going to eat the bread together in a moment, so don't do that yet. And this is really for anyone who really has, has, has surrendered their life to Jesus Christ and you're wanting to follow him. But I, before we do this, I just want to just bring this full circle. Because Jesus could have chosen revenge instead of forgiveness, couldn't he? In fact, he explained this to Peter when Peter pulled out a sword and was like, let's fight, let's, let's get him. Jesus says, don't you know I could have called 12 legions of angels? 70, one angel would have wiped them all out. 70,000 is the definition of overkill. I could have called 70,000 angels and get revenge right away. But he didn't choose revenge. And when he was nailed to that cross, looking down at the men who had whipped him and beaten him and the crowd that had spit on him and mocked him and voted for his execution. He said, Father, forgive them. And he showed us a different way. There is more than two choices. There do-nothing choice and the revenge choice. There's a third choice. We can choose to forgive like Jesus did. And then he chose humility over pride. Philippians 2 said he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on the cross. He chose the way of humility instead of the way of pride. And then he chose to do what was right and not what would work. When he was in the garden, he said, not my will, but your will, Father. You know, it would, the angel, the 70,000 angel uh, plan, that would have worked. <laughs> he would have won. But he chose to do what was right, to die for you, to die for me, to die for the abuser and to die for the abused. And that's what we're here to remember. 
I just want to challenge you, if you have not ever surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, if you've not ever asked him to take your place and your punishment, I just want to encourage you to do that right now. Just cry out, God, just forgive me for my sins. And God, God, I give you my life out of gratitude. Amen. The Bible says, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had broken it, he had given it to his disciples. And he said, take and eat this in remembrance of me. In the same way, it says, after supper, he took the cup. And he said, this cup is now the new covenant in my blood. Let's drink this in remembrance of him. Heavenly Father, we just, God, this has just been a really difficult story to talk about. I know there's people out there that lived this story on one side or the other. And God, I just thank you so much that it doesn't end. The Bible doesn't end in 2 Samuel chapter 13, 14, or 15. I thank you that it doesn't end even on the cross. There's the resurrection. And then it doesn't end at the resurrection. And there's the commissioning. And then the story just continues on in our lives today as well. Lord, help us to be different in a world that is increasingly angry, in a world that is increasingly prideful. God, I just pray that you would give us humility, give us forgiveness, and help us to just always do what's right. Lord, I thank you so much for the example of Jesus Christ. Lord, help us never, never to get over the cross, never to get over the resurrection, never to get over you, never to get over Jesus. May your Holy Spirit just invade our lives this morning. God, give us a sense of urgency to share with others this incredible good news that we can be forgiven, that we don't have to fall into the hands of justice. There is forgiveness in Jesus Christ. God, let us be messengers. Let us be heralds, watchmen on the walls, telling others this good news. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand and close with a song of celebration to our King.